You're listening to Episode 50 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about how to show up as your best self when someone you love has a mental illness. And just FYI, you can use these tips for any relationship when you hit a challenging point. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, humans. Can you believe that we are at episode 50? Oh my gosh. You know, one of my goals would be if we could get to 30,000 during the first year of Rebel Buddhist. So we have a couple weeks left. So please share, share, share Rebel Buddhist so that we can hit that 30,000 mark. I think we're over 28,000. So we're so close. So please share it. I would love to celebrate that with you at episode 52 after we've been up for a year. So it's a special day. And I am celebrating. Tonight, I'm going to go for a night swim with my daughter under the stars. I'm super excited about it. All right. So the topic we're diving into today is one that's near and dear to my heart. Because I grew up with a mother that suffered from PTSD after being bombed in the Philippines during World War II, who was also physically abusive as well as a father who was orphaned and diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder during World War II. And schizoaffective disorder, in a simplified way of explaining it, is having schizophrenia and bipolar disorder symptoms together, okay? In this environment, I suffered a lot with people I really, really loved and people that I really, really wanted to love and feel safe with. And I didn't always feel loved or safe, especially as a child. And I know that I'm not alone. Perhaps someone you love has suffered with symptoms of depression, and you get so frustrated when they aren't able to take on their share of responsibilities, or when they cancel plans with you because they don't feel up to it, or when It requires so much of your energy to watch over them. Or someone you know and care about has anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder and you can't stand how they're always so preoccupied or why won't they join you when you want to go do something. Or maybe you had a parent with narcissistic personality disorder and didn't feel nurtured by them and hate how they always focused on their own problems and don't seem to be able to care at all about how you're doing. Nearly one in five adults live with mental illness in the United States, and worldwide, that prevalence is estimated to be one in four people. So the odds that you will be close to someone who has a mental illness is quite high. And I'm sure most of us know someone who's been diagnosed with a mental illness, and that many of you listening may also have a mental health diagnosis as well. Loving someone with a mental illness can be so hard because we want to love them. We want to show up as our best selves and we want to be kind and compassionate and patient. And yet we repeatedly seem to let ourselves down and those we love down. And I know that showing up 
as your best self can be hard in these situations. Because when I am in my depression in winter or when I was suffering from postpartum depression, I was hella hard to love, I'm sure. I was irritable and labile and super low energy. I mean, lots of things. So I'm speaking here from being on both sides of this situation, okay? So we want to love this person. And they just drive us batshit crazy. And this is why I said at the start of the pod that what we talk about today can be applied to any relationship challenge, right? But that I'm wanting to really approach it today from the context of when someone has a mental illness. I want to talk about some of the things we can do to help us show up as our best selves when there's someone in our life who has a mental illness that's challenging, for the relationship. So I'm going to start with self-compassion because sometimes we beat ourselves up for how we might get angry or not want to spend time with them or how easily we get frustrated. And we need to first recognize that we are suffering. This morning, actually, I had a student in freedom school ask to be coached on self-compassion since she was going to be moving closer to her mother and she's historically struggled a lot with that relationship. She's tried setting boundaries, minimizing discussion of triggering topics, asking her mom, hey, how can I take care of myself without setting you off, right? And to no avail. (laughs) Her mother has narcissistic personality disorder, which is one of the hardest things to treat, right? Because insight helps healing a lot with certain disorders. But by definition, someone with this problem has a primary challenge in seeing that they are part of the problem, of any problem. It's always turfed to like outside of themselves, right? So she said she's basically gotten by now by just letting it be and learning how to just let her mom say and do those things. And she's managed with this through self-compassion practice, right? But now that they will have more interaction, she wanted to know how to up the game with self-compassion. And at first, I just want to say I'm so proud of her because she's seeing that self-compassion is important in this scenario. I mean, we spent a whole month of it in Freedom School. This is in May. So if you want in on this, come join us for May. Um, Because Mother's Day, I put it in May because Mother's Day falls in there. And I know a lot comes up around our mothers, right? Now, While this pod isn't the place to go into teaching self-compassion, I'll post an article I wrote about that in the resources section of the show notes. I do want to remind you of its basic components. There are three. So one is mindfulness, mindfulness of our suffering, noticing that we're suffering, that we're feeling rejected or impatient or angry or sad or guilty, and we can label what it is that we're feeling. Two is common humanity, that this suffering is part of being human, that we are not alone, that others out there are suffering in the same way. We can remind ourselves of this. And self-kindness, what do we need to feel soothed right now? That's the third question, right? What do we need to nourish ourselves to self-soothe? Do we need to call a friend or take a nap or a hot bath? Do we need to meditate or do some yoga? How can we self-soothe and nourish ourselves? These steps are key because without them, it's hard to move to the next steps of how to show up in a way that we're proud of in relationship. And this is because when we are feeling triggered, 
by something someone does. We're in a stress response. And from this place, we don't come from a more wise center, right? No, we come from our primitive brain that tells us right now we are not safe and we need to lash out or run away or shut down, fight, flight, or freeze, yeah? We come from our default and automatic mode. So first, we need to tend to our hearts. Then, from this place, we come out of the stress response and can open up to a more wise way of being, a more compassionate place. Let's revisit some of the things I mentioned earlier, which are also really important to creating a space where your relationship with someone you love who has a mental illness can come from more compassion and wisdom. So we can next start to investigate our expectations of them. We all have a way that we expect people to behave if they love us and respect us. We expect them to be on time. We expect them to speak kindly to us, keep their promises, not embarrass us in public, things like that. Usually we get pissed off when they aren't following our manual of these expectations. And when someone is struggling with a mental illness, you bet your ass they're not likely going to be following your manual all the time, right? In fact, most people will let you down in this department at some point if you know them long enough, not just people we love with mental illness, right? Our friends are our friends because they follow our manual of expectations most of the time. We get upset at them when they don't. We feel disappointed or let down or angry or whatever. Same thing here. Check out episode 16 of the podcast where I discuss our expectations for people and how it leads to suffering and how to let go of those expectations and come from unconditional love because this is so important. We need to realize The reason someone's behavior is bothering us is because we decided that it was something we don't find acceptable. Now, accepting this is not condoning that behavior, right? But it is acknowledging that the behavior is hurtful because we decided we weren't okay with that. We decided we were not okay with them yelling, with them berating us, with them flaking on us or being late. And this is what affects our degree of emotional suffering around it. We expect their behavior to be different. Think about if there was a dog growling at you and snarling at you as you walked by, right? At first, you might think, what the what? What a mean dog. Then you notice that the dog's leg is caught in a trap. And you think, oh, poor dog, you're doing that because you're hurt. We now have changed expectations for the dog's behavior based on what we think is acceptable given the circumstance. See, it is optional. Our response, same behavior, different response based on our idea of what is okay or not. And based on our understanding of where the the other being is coming from. And I'm not talking about physical harm here. That's different. I mean, physical harm literally hurts, right? I'm talking here about emotional suffering. And I do want to say that if you're in a place that you have unhealed trauma or trauma that's never been addressed, that is really a place where therapy can be so helpful before taking this particular tip on, right? So if you aren't ready to open to this, that's okay. You can use the other tools I'll be offering here. Now, in Freedom School, I often get questions about a family member doing the same thing every time, and the student wonders, why can't they just stop doing it? 
They've kindly asked them to please stop. They've told them how it affects them. They give tips, all this stuff, and the person keeps doing it. And I'm like, of course they're doing it. That's what they do. Why would we expect anything different? So let's just assume that's how it's going to be. So this is the third thing we can do. Let's let go of our expectations and the idea that things will miraculously change and see what's available to us when we can accept our loved one as they are. I tell you, it's a whole lot better of a world than when we are waiting for them to change. Way less frustrating, too. Let's stop being surprised when mom berates us or when our sibling flakes on a meetup. You know, I remember a pivotal moment when I was in my late teens. My father, when he didn't take his meds, he would do the craziest shit. Like show up at my school and pretend he was a squirrel (laughs) in the in the yard or walk naked outside and around the block. And we lived in the hood, right? So there's a naked old white guy in the hood. (laughs) And he often, and I mean often, said super inappropriate things. So one time we were at a restaurant and it was crowded and we're waiting for a table. And he says to the hostess really loudly, wow, you're really pretty. I bet a lot of guys want to take you home, but I'm married, so I can't, but I want to. And hey, I know the president. He's my friend because, you know, I worked for the Ford company and he's really loyal to Americans. And so you better get us a seat soon. And he's like yelling this and everyone's looking at us and I'm feeling really uncomfortable. And I thought, okay, I can either do what I usually do, which is get pissed and feel super embarrassed, maybe ashamed about my dad right now, which would likely trigger him into some paranoid delusion about how I don't love him and I'm trying to hurt him. And to be honest, that's often how I reacted. I would blow up at him and yell at him and ask why he was always embarrassing me. I didn't understand then about his mental illness, right? And that was exhausting. And I'd often end up feeling super guilty about it later. So the alternative I came up with at the time was Anna, or you can go with it, right? I was thinking, hey, he's my dad and I love him and I want to choose to not be ashamed about him. I had to choose between making other people comfortable and feeling vindicated and lashing out at him or loving my dad for who he was and being proud of how I showed up in our relationship. This time, I chose the latter. And I tell you, it made me so happy. And I was so proud of how I showed up. I liked how I showed up. And I looked at the lady who had a super shocked face after my dad said all that. And I said, I'm sorry, my dad's a little weird. You didn't mean all that. And I said it with love for my dad and a fierce love, like, don't mess with my dad. I have his back, right? And she just let it go and moved on. And my dad and I went on to have a dinner with a bunch more of potentially super embarrassing moments, right? So here, compassion for the other also came into the picture, right? That's an important step too. Step four, right? When we have someone we love that does something that feels hurtful because of their mental illness, we need to remember that it's not personal. And it may feel deeply personal. Like it felt deeply personal when my mother berated me or when she abused me. But when I take a step back, I can see that she was deeply suffering. I find it so helpful to think, wow, it must really suck 
to feel the way they do. Now, it's important to remember that this is not condoning hurtful behavior. In feeling compassion for my mother or my father, I'm not condoning anyone berating me or hitting me. Like instead, I'm seeing their suffering. We can understand why this might be how they are in the world. You know, Ramdas tells a story of how when we walk through a forest and see a tree, we can appreciate how the trees grow, right? We can say, oh yeah, I can see why that tree bends this way or that. It's reaching for the sun. Or I can see why that tree stunted. It didn't get enough light. That other tree is blocking the light from it. But with people, we don't as easily do that, right? We don't get curious about why they are like that. We're not as willing to see it with understanding and acceptance. But people are like the way they are for a reason. So Ramdas says maybe we can see people more like trees. I like that. Next, we can see that someone is suffering and then add the second component of compassion. So after seeing that someone's suffering, the second component is having the willingness to make it go away, wanting to do something about it. So this is, you know, an, a next possibility. Option number five, we can see that they are suffering and get curious about how can I help? Maybe this is by being patient, letting something slide. Maybe there's some action you can actually take. Lend them some money, help them get something fixed, take them to the beach. But often one of the simplest things we can do is to love them. Because, you know, one thing we all have in common is that we want to be loved. We all strive for it. We all desire it. In fact, whenever we are hurt, underneath that is often a tenderness of feeling, a lack of love, a lack of belonging. We feel a disconnection, right? We long to feel close, loved, connected, and then someone does something that we feel is hurtful, and it hurts because we feel the loss of belonging. I want to read you this poem by Hafez. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying, with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? Isn't that beautiful? I just love that poem. We are all saying Love me. And this is where we can tap into the power of unconditional love, how it doesn't just serve the other, but really how it can powerfully transform our experience of this life when we can be the one giving that love. Because love will always, always feel better than anything else. Now, let's kind of transition into some more practical tips, right? Like things you can actually do also. Action, all right? I know a lot of us love action ideas. So option number six, right? We can create better boundaries, you know? And some people will say, well, I tried that, but they don't change. And that tells me there's a misunderstanding about what boundaries are, because boundaries are about what we do. 
not what they do. Some people say, well, if I told them that, they'd never go for it or never understand. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't even have to tell someone that you've set a boundary since it's all about what you will do. We can decide ahead of time instead of reacting in the moment what we will do if certain boundaries are crossed, what we will do if our partner or lover or friend or parent starts berating us again. There is no right or wrong here as long as you are the one responsible for taking the action and that you don't physically harm someone or emotionally abuse someone in the process, right? This is not about what they will do. It's about what you will do. Will you end the phone call? Will you leave the room until things have calmed down? Not invite them to larger group dinners, not spend holidays with them. Having these boundaries set ahead of time will help you not have to be reactive in the moment. They can also work as a proactive no, right? So assuming your loved one will not change, what can you do to have healthier boundaries if that behavior arises? You can start creating those boundaries now. The next thing I highly recommend is a dialed-in self-care practice. With the client I mentioned earlier, we we walked through coming up with a higher level game of self-care, right? A meditation practice to ensure that we are practicing lengthening the time between perceiving an event and acting upon it, lengthening that gap to allow more freedom in our response. This is one of the amazing gifts of meditation, right? You can even add a self-compassion practice to your meditation, So cultivating the skill of self-compassion and not just using it when something challenging happens. Grounding practices or other practices that nourish you. Yoga, hiking, dancing, skiing, biking, warm baths. Know what nourishes you and do that more often. Get good sleep. Good exercise. When we are taken care of, we will have much more bandwidth to come from a place of wisdom and compassion for others. Finally, I want to encourage you to see this relationship as a spiritual practice. With my client, we joked about how this was going to be the chapter of her life when they were in a nunnery or a monastery, right? It wasn't going to be easy, but it was something they were choosing in order to further their spiritual practice, their growth, their love and wisdom and compassion. We cannot cultivate these things in a so-called perfect world. We need the challenges of life to grow. I remember Lama Zopa Rinpoche wrote a book, Transforming Problems into Happiness. I just found it on this like random bookshelf when I was living on a retreat center in Boulder Creek, California. And this concept sort of blew me away when I first read about it. I think it was only 19 years old, like taking really challenging situations and using them as a way to practice and transform our minds and hearts to lean towards love and wisdom and compassion and seeking out opportunities. Like seeking out these like suffering experiences and giving thanks for them. I mean, it was wild. So remember, this pod is about someone you want to love, right? Someone you want to love that you are finding it hard to love and show up as your best self with. 
I want you to consider right now that this person is there to help you cultivate compassion and loving kindness and wisdom. They are the medicine that can help you move towards more wholeness of heart and breadth of wisdom. I also want to remind you that this cannot be done without self-compassion practice. When you give yourself compassion, this is how you can continue and take emotional care of yourself. I also want you to remember that all this work is optional, that you are choosing to be in relationship with this person, that it is okay to say no when you need to, to take a break, to feel difficult emotions like feeling discouraged and sad and hopeless. All that is okay. It's part of being human. I want you to know that I really admire your willingness to try, to try to be there for someone who likely often feels really left out and misunderstood and scared. Someone who wants to be loved, just like you. Like I said at the start, these practices can be used with anyone we have a difficult relationship with. But when someone has a diagnosis of a mental illness, it can often help us open our hearts to seeing that they don't want to suffer that way. They don't want to cause us suffering. Yeah, I believe this of everyone, but it can be particularly helpful when someone you love is struggling with a diagnosis like that and the symptoms that come along with it. I remember I had no idea what was wrong with my dad growing up. I just knew he caused us a lot of pain and that I didn't know why he would keep doing that. Then one day, I think I was 16, I took a psychology class in high school and read about schizophrenia and it all started to come together. And I rushed home and showed my mom and had her read the chapter. We were both so blown away. You know, in hindsight, I can't believe we didn't have family meetings about this with his mental health provider. But it was so game-changing to learn that something was wrong and that he couldn't help it, that he didn't want to do those things in the deepest part of his heart. It helped us be more patient and more kind and more loving. And interestingly, when we transform that way in ourselves, he also had fewer psychotic episodes as a result. I mean, we weren't perfect by any means. We still blew up and lost our shit, but a lot less often. And we apologized a hell of a lot more. And things got even better over time. So, You know, this is a two-way street where we can help someone feel loved and for us to love and feel the benefits of loving. We are all saying to everyone we meet, love me. So today, what is one thing you can do from the things I suggested above that will help open your heart to that person you really want to love unconditionally? that will help you show up as the person you want to be in this world. And do that. You don't have to do all of them. Just pick one and do that for today. Let yourself open to love and compassion and wisdom and take care of yourself too. All right? And if you want to get more support as you go through this and dive deeper into self-compassion and this crazy idea of 
transforming problems into wisdom, compassion, and love, come join us in Freedom School. Head to joinfreedomschool.com. Enrollment's open now, and I'd love to see you in class. All right? Get out there and remember, we're all saying, love me. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.